Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 78 for Monday, March 2nd, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello! We're nerds, as you can probably tell from the fact that we're doing a Minecraft podcast. <laughs> and if you want to know precisely how nerdy we are, you can listen to The Render Distance, the uh, patrons-only pre-show and post-show, where we are talking about Dungeons & Dragons once again. We're talking about uh, Joel's live streams that he's been doing, which I'm sure we'll get a mention a little bit later on. But yes, all the juicy info and uh, the latest on my growing interest in Dungeons & Dragons in The Render Distance, which you can find at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. So what's up, Joel? How's your Minecraft week been? Very busy with little to show for it. I don't know how to, it's, I feel I had a lot of fun and then I flew around the modern city last night before I logged off and I was just like, what did I actually do this week? It doesn't look that different. <laughs> yeah. Like I really don't know. So we're going to get into this later on in the main discussion of the show because it's very poignant, but um, I am, I'm building my first high rise in Minecraft. I don't know why I thought this wasn't going to take weeks. Like, I thought the city was going to take weeks. I didn't think one building was going to take weeks. Uh, so I decided to do things player scale uh, because I, I would like to look up at a building. And even if it's even if it's hollow inside, I want the outside to look like proper floors with balconies and things like that. And so I I mapped out the height of each floor. I had the forethought to give a double thick you know, a uh, floor. So like your ceiling block of one level is a different color than the floor block of the next. Yeah. So that, so you can have like a white ceiling and then like a birch, you know, wood floor, or dark oak or whatever you want to do. Uh, and so I, I mapped out the, the floors and I went up uh, 16 floors. I thought that was a nice round Minecraft number. Uh, and it looked pretty good, you know, in terms of I went down to the, the city street, looked up and it felt like it was a big building, but not like New York big, you know, like it felt really good. And I, I ended up adding a floor and a penthouse because I, the way that I wanted to do it, I, I wanted to alternate the balconies so that balconies on one floor would be facing, let's say north and the balconies on the next floor would be facing west so that balconies would not be stacked directly on top of one another and therefore not get much sunlight. I wanted mm -hmm. it to be a bright building. Yeah. I also want to put a lot of foliage on these platforms or on these balconies so that it, when you have two floors between balconies, you can actually put a decent sized tree, you know, custom yeah. tree there and it's going to look really cool. So I did all that. But when I get to the top, I was, the last balcony was facing the wrong way. It wasn't facing the street. It was facing the harbor. And I was just like, eh, I'm going to add one more floor. I know that makes it 17, but whatever. Uh, because I wanted the final balcony to kind of face the main boulevard. Yeah. Um, also west, which is a really pretty sunset at, uh, in the city. Uh, and then I started thinking about like the rooftop and the, and the um, penthouse and I got completely overwhelmed and I was just like, okay, so I, <laughs> I finished a corner. I haven't even finished a quarter. It's a corner. The yeah. balconies are roughly 11 wide. And I basically did a fourth of the balconies and nothing else. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I did do some interior layout. Like I also wanted the building, the apartments to be big enough that they felt like they could be lived in and not feel like a Minecraft eight by seven, you know, yeah, a hole in yeah. the wall. And so I placed down what you can do for furniture. I do have the tables and chairs mod from, Ch or not, uh, not mod, it's a data pack from Chuck Chuck, um, which allows you to make like proper things that look like tables and chairs, um, which is nice. Um, but they're, they they hold the same block space as if you used a block and a couple of stair blocks. It's it's They hold up the same space. They're still one meter by one meter things. And so uh, it was interesting, you know, like small kitchens, open concept, but I was able to get um, 
four apartments inside of what would be roughly a 31 by 31 square. Uh-huh. So that's yeah. pretty good. You know, like, so each apartment is minus the hallway. Each apartment is like a 13 by 15, maybe, give or take. Uh, and and it up. will cost you $2,000 in rent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is this is a bright, brand new building, brand new city. Uh, your uh, firstborn is required when you live in my apartment. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm really enjoying that. I'm trying not to get carried away with the logistics of like designing all of the insides of the apartments because like I don't, no one's going to care. <laughs> like, and mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. Um, but one of the things we're trying to figure out too is is uh, like where to put farms. Like, how far up do I want to have a couple of interiors? I think basically what we're going to do is the bottom floors, like two to three floors of an apartment building, are going to be decorated, uh, and then the top couple floors are going to be decorated. But then the inside middle part of the building is going to house like a concrete maker or a carrot farm or something more practical for Minecraft. And then the outside balconies and windows are just going to be a facade, and inside is just going to be hollow. Mm -hmm. um, just just enough so that it looks good when you fly by, but really it's not going to be you know something that you can actually go inside at least on the middle floors um, but the rest of the time i was doing a lot of planning we did um we're at that stage now where when you get sick of building the white concrete building and repeating patterns you're like all right let's just add something new to the city so i i live in a waterfront city here in, in halifax dartmouth so i want to have a really nice waterfront in this modern city on the citadel and so i started mapping out like a plaza that was waterfront with the boardwalk trying to figure out how wide the boardwalk was and trying to figure out how to do either a roundabout or a parking spot and i actually been drawing a lot of inspiration i'll have links to these videos in the show notes for for listeners today not exactly what i'm going for but with any of these minecraft cities and inspirational videos it's kind of like you watch them and then you kind of take away something you you, you learn something about a sidewalk or about a crosswalk or how to build row houses and things like that different techniques uh, sometimes it's difficult with Minecraft City specifically because they very often have custom texture packs. So it's kind of hard to figure out what that would look like when you don't have like all of these blocks. Um, but I found that despite stuff not being the right scale for what I'm doing, it was still really cool to see shapes. A lot of people building curved roads, which I haven't done yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing that I was watching, and I don't remember exactly the video, I couldn't find it in my watch history, but it was um, Andy Isiota and Corrales, and they were doing like an, a city tour. And this was like, I don't know, four years ago. It's an old video. But one of the things that they pointed out was the fact that the builder had put parking spots along the sides of the streets. And yeah. Andy Isiota was like, I never do this. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And it, it makes such a big difference. But if you don't do it early, it becomes a real issue because you can't just replace sidewalks and like it's it becomes a real problem and so i did that i i built because of the waterfront area i thought well people are going to want to park nearby there's not enough room for a building here or at least not a very big one plus i'd like to keep the waterfront low so that people so views from the city are not blocked by buildings of, yeah. the, of the ocean right you want stuff near the ocean you want low stuff away from the ocean you want high and so uh, I was, I mapped out and I built parking spaces. It took me honestly two hours. Yeah. Like it, to try to get the right angle of the lines, to try to figure out the right size. How did it look from high up? Like there's a lot of flying up and flying down. Anyway, this is the snail pace at which the city is going. I'm happy with it. I'm having fun. You feel accomplished when you're done a road or an intersection or a parking lot. It's not the most interesting thing to look at, but it adds that sense of, design and life when you walk by it yeah 
and that's where I am with with my with my stuff. I I did a really big massive 6-hour stream yesterday and I had fun. I don't normally stream for that long. I took a lot of breaks and I I don't really remember what I accomplished. Like I think I basically framed stuff. Like I framed a bridge, I framed a a, a plaza and a and a wharf. I didn't build anything. Like nothing is done. Stuff is just basically mapped out. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm, I find you go back and forth when you're building a city like this is that you have to make a lot of design decisions because it is a pain in the butt to move stuff later. Uh, I had I had somebody ask, how come there's no cars, you know, no buses, no trucks and stuff on my roads? And I, and I specifically said, they're coming. I absolutely want to do them. I don't know how yet because I haven't really practiced. But also, I didn't want to put cars on the roads only to realize I need to move a road four blocks and have to move all the cars too. <laughs> yes. Like it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's, it, it's not like the cars are one thing that you just move. The cars are like, you know, probably at least 20 blocks, if not 30, once you get the little knickknacks in there and it's just like, nope, I, I just don't. <laughs> so they'll come later. <laughs> what about you? What have you been up to? Well, if you want projects that have been making inch by inch progress <laughs> instead mm -hmm. of meter on meter, um, you want to talk about my mountain project for a bit? Because, wow, I, I've I've almost got to the point where I'm done with one of my several mountains. And to be honest, this one was originally two and they've kind of merged into each other. I'm going to drop you some screenshots in our little Ooh. Discord chat so you can see what is left to do, which is approximately one sixth of the back of this mountain just needs Holy cats. filling up. But yeah, I've got a bird's wow. eye view and I've got a view of the back of it and it is enormous. The project in total, which includes two other mountain facades that I have built, but not really built anything around the sides or the back, I think is up to over 80,000 stones so far. So I am reaching FWIP levels of dedication. Uh, you know, <laughs> we are not worthy. But I think it's it's coming together as well as I could hope. And the front side of it especially. Now I've started adding snow blocks to it. It's looking so much better. And I'm, I'm a lot happier with it now that it has that snow cap on it. It looks a lot better, like closer to what I was imagining and i'm sort of working in blue ice for ski runs and things like that so that's all that's all working out okay um aside from that obviously i've had to take a break from mountain progress because i'm doing all of that on my twitch streams and it's just placing stone for hours on end and i don't want to be doing that for videos anymore so i'm now moving on to using foxes for some cool stuff that i haven't done previously so Previously, I'd captured a bunch of foxes, brought them back to my town, uh, bred a few of them so that the offspring would uh, would not be scared of me. Um, and so we've seen foxes in the series before. I made a tavern uh, where they were just kind of like roaming around inside. But this time I'm now using foxes for functional stuff. I'm going to work on a sweet berry farm later this week. But uh, the most recent thing is a chicken farm where a fox with a fire aspect sword kills the chickens for you. Uh, which is something that people envisioned basically as soon as foxes were introduced because they were able to pick up items and, and people noticed that a fox with a sword would kill the chickens with the sword. So if you give it looting, it drops more stuff. If it has fire aspect, it lights them on fire. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of fun and has been a solution to my old chicken cooker, which broke and I never really bothered fixing, but also... A, uh, has a renewable supply of food available to me at this mountain project for when I run out of golden carrots and I don't want to go all the way back uh, 5,000 blocks on both axes to go home and see my farmers. So yeah, this, this whole project is going pretty well and I'm starting to add stuff like the fox chicken farm to the ski village so eventually I can build up a facade around that that's going to be effectively a chicken restaurant 
and something that I can just dip into and grab food whenever I want to. Um, aside from that, uh, speaking of giant chickens, uh, fighting the dragon in Skyblock this week, which is going to be a uh, an exciting and nerve-wracking time because Skyblock is a bit of a different environment to your average survival world, and I don't know how prepared I feel at this stage, but fighting the dragon is definitely the barrier to entry for things like enchanting, because you need to go out to end cities to find diamonds in order to make an enchanting table. Um, having shulker boxes in this world would be kind of useful because obviously having to cart your entire inventory around with you in your player inventory is not the best. And, uh, you know, access to Enderman more frequently and stuff like that is going to be useful too. Outside of that, I've been watching a whole lot of Hermitcraft <laughs> because yeah. um, as anybody who has listened to our end of show plugs will know, I am the voice of the Hermitcraft Recap, which is a fan-run channel which effectively just provides a light-hearted roast of the Hermitcraft server every week in the guise of it being a recap of all the stuff that they've been doing that week. And uh, yeah, it's been going for several years now. We have a really decent audience and it's lovely to be part of the Hermitcraft community in that sense. They have just reset their server for a seventh season, which is phenomenal. And everybody who has been involved with Hermitcraft in the past seems to be kind of coming back. There are definitely still a few people who have, you know, moved on from the group. But even returning players like Hypno and Etho are coming back to the server. And after having not played for a while, it's really cool to see them. What it means for me is that I'm watching about 15 videos a day <laughs> right now wow. because they're all producing like, if not daily content, then at least much more regular content than it was at the tail end of season six. So yeah. while obviously it's inspiring to see folks who are other full-time Minecrafters doing what they do, it also amounts to me having to watch Hermitcraft videos on the daily if I'm able to keep up with all of the stuff that's going on during the week and then provide a summary for it to people who watch the Hermitcraft Recap channel at the end of the week. So uh, yeah, my life has become even more Minecrafty than it was before. And to be honest, I'm okay with that, but I'm definitely uh, happy to, to take a break every now and again. Yeah. Do, do you find that you're attaching a disclaimer, don't try this at home, kids, to your mountain build? Like, is this... um, I am getting a lot of people asking me why I'm not bored yet. Um, and I think a lot of people realize that, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this mainly because I have the time. And the, I, I say mm. several times on streams that the only reason I'm able to do this project is because I stream, because I wouldn't want to do this in my spare time. I feel like in my spare time or in time I could be using to make other Minecraft videos, I would be finding every excuse not to do this project. But the fact that I'm able to log in, talk to my chat for three or four hours at a time and just play yeah. stone is the whole reason these mountains are getting done. <laughs> I was watching a YouTube video recommended by uh, Megan Townsend, my co-host on the Citadel Cafe, and uh, one of the things that this person was suggesting as tips for uh, being a better streamer on Twitch was, you know, don't ignore the Let's Chat Twitch, which yeah. is just just hanging out with your community, which is not not exactly what you're doing here. You're still working on Minecraft stuff, but really, because it's the same thing every time you stream for now, because of the, the scale of the project, that's essentially what you're doing. You're using it as a way to let's chat. Like you don't have to think that much about what you're doing. You're placing 80,000 stone blocks and making a mountain. You have the added benefit of having this really cool thing to look at at the end, but it's an excellent opportunity to hang out with your chat. And yeah, I I admire the the tenacity and the the scale 
like these images are just like it's just i mean i'm building some tall buildings but at least they're straight lines yeah <laughs> like, I, it's just you know i'm i'm getting to the point now where this is starting to pay off visually which makes me very yeah. excited because of mm -hmm. course when you approach a project like this you just think well it's going to look like a massive lump of you know unnecessary stone for ages yeah. and then once it actually starts looking like a mountain you can really feel a sense of accomplishment and i think i'm getting there with this one unfortunately i still have four others left to do <laughs> so so we'll see how that goes but uh, so yeah there's a lot yeah advice to mountain builders build one not, yes not yeah but, but build one definitely build one don't go for a, a whole range to start <laughs> off with but obviously the overhead uh... shot the overhead shot of the ski run looks fantastic dude like yeah mm. i'm i'm looking forward to seeing this done yes yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it done as well unfortunately i'm the one that has to do it so we'll, we'll see um let's move <laughs> words on to of news, encouragement though. yeah let's, let's move yes on to the absolutely news. Let's, let's do that minecraft snapshot 20w09a came out last week lots of new stuff they have added the target block the closer you hit the center the larger the redstone signal. Test your skills with a variety of projectiles, including eggs, snowballs, tridents, and more. You will need one hay block and four redstone for this recipe. Added the new crying obsidian block. Zombie pigmen are now known as zombified piglins, and they have ears. Well, they have one ear. Uh, other changes to the snapshot include, as soon as my scroll wheel starts behaving, um, bartering loot has been restructured to be more appealing to survival players. Entities now get pushed by flowing lava. That's really interesting, actually. Huge fungi will now be now grow only uh, on its matching type of nylium. So you can only grow the warped fungi on the warped nylium, uh, etc. Can now place warped and crimson roots uh, and fungi into pots, uh, flower pots specifically. Uh, nether wart blocks can be cleared quickly using a hoe. Warped wart blocks can be cleared quickly using a hoe as well. Weeping vines are now climbable, which is cool. Uh, biome fog color smoothly blends between the biomes. This looks really fantastic. I'm glad. I'm, I knew we, they were going to change this, but I think it looks great. Mm -hmm. um, change the ambient block lighting in the nether to be on parity with other additions. I'm actually not really sure what that means. Hopefully we'll get into that. Technical changes, including new particle types, dripping obsidian tier, falling obsidian tier, and landing obsidian tier. Uh, piglins now have an is immune to zombification data value that prevents them from zombifying in the overworld. Crimson fungi is now called crimson fungus. Warped fungi is now called warp fungus. I don't really remember the reason they gave for that change. I think um, it probably just like fungi is like the plural. And so if you've only got uh, one warped fungi, that doesn't make much grammatical sense, but a single warped uh, fungus probably does. Probably one of those those English is hard things. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, basically. Uh, fixed bugs, there are many. Uh, we will have a link, of course, to the um, the bug list in the show notes. But uh, of note, our player can clip through the ground when exiting Minecraft, uh, a minecart or a boat. That sounds fantastic for ice boat roads and another. Uh, potted plant models are still missing the bottom due to a faulty UV. Yay! Potted plants now have a bottom. Uh, mining speeds for breaking crimson and warped doors, trap doors, fences, signs, stairs, and slabs aren't faster with an axe. That will be fixed. And piglin admiring held gold ingots dropping when killed. Wah, wah, there goes the exploit from last week. So mm -hmm. that's fine. Uh, I think that's a much improved, a much improved um, change. 
Yes. Uh, one more thing before we move on to our opinions about snapshot stuff. The tickets for Minecraft Festival, which is uh, effectively the in-person Minecon, a three-day event that's going to be taking place over September 25th to 27th in Orlando, Florida, are going on sale March 6th, and there will be various different price packages depending on the level of access you want to the event. I, I don't have all of that information in front of me and probably should, but I think the uh, tickets are going to range from a three-day package for like $160, $165, okay, there it is. Um, and then there's going to be, uh, you know, more access packages with like early access to certain events and, you know, guaranteed access to certain parts of the convention center for a slightly higher price. Uh, they're also going to have um, one-day tickets for the various days of the event, and I think they're working in collaboration with a hotel uh, to make sure that there's going to be accommodation available for ticket holders as well. Um, obviously, you know, subject to where you want to stay. Um, so for all of the information on that, that will be linked in the show notes. You can go to minecraftfestival.com to find that. There is also a big signposted article for it on minecraft.net if you're interested in attending. Uh, personally, I plan to, uh, obviously because Minecraft has been a big part of my life over the last few years. It has changed my life quite significantly and it would be really cool to attend an in-person event considering that I never got to go to any previous in-person Minecons. Um, but yeah, let's um let's move on from that. Let's talk about the snapshot stuff because there is enough here to talk about. I I didn't decide to make a video about this one in the end because I thought uh crying obsidian for right now doesn't have any functionality, so it's just a pretty block and we have a bit of speculation about what that means. The target block seems cool, but it's not necessarily super thematic with the Nether update. And we already knew about zombified piglins already. I think some of the other changes are quite interesting, though, like bartering. Let's take that as an example, right? So bartering yeah. has now been rebalanced a little bit, so different items that you could get before are, you know, they, they are more common or less common. Um, they've removed the rotten flesh and soul sand um bartering th throws i guess i don't know <laughs> i don't know what to call them really it's it's weird calling them trades because then the piglin just kind of throws a thing on the ground for you um but yeah soul sand and rotten flesh no longer a thing i'm happy about the rotten flesh because of course you can get that any number of ways however that has meant soul sand is no longer infinitely renewable in vanilla uh where we have soul sand biomes now uh and there were decent patches of soul sand in the nether before so i doubt it's going to be Super difficult to get hold of, but still not infinitely farmable anymore. Um, bartering has also rebalanced obsidian, so it is more common. Uh, there are new items, including potions and splash potions of fire resistance. And also bartering now includes a 1 in 226 chance, so that's a 0.44% chance, to obtain a netherite hoe. So that's a netherite tool that you can get without having to go mining for ancient debris, and as we know from elsewhere in those notes uh hoes are now going to be the tool of choice for clearing away nether wart blocks that grow on those giant fungi so the next question is could netherite hoes now be smelted down into netherite scraps the way golden iron equipment smelts down into nuggets and is that then a balanced way of obtaining renewable netherite balanced with the amount of effort it would take to uh go mining for that kind of stuff what do you think do you think that's a an option or do you think that's verging on a little bit too op uh okay so wait a minute <clears throat> it's four netherite scraps and four gold ingots. Is it gold ingots to yep. make one netherite ingot yes it would be it would take eight no nine nuggets 
if a nugget exists. Do we even know if nuggets exist for netherite? It's no, just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking no. about the, the idea of it breaking down into netherite scraps specifically. As though oh, you could, scraps you, specifically, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you could, you could four, scrap a hoe, basically. Yeah, so, so four netherite hoes would get you four netherite scraps sort of idea. Yeah, with a one in yeah. 200 or so chance each time you're looking at potentially <laughs> trading 800 times maybe yeah. to get yourself Unless you're on Psycraft, this isn't going to matter. Like, it just, it's not... The, the more interesting thing about the hose to me is that it's the tool of choice for, for nether wart blocks. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, I, well, I say I say nether wart. Uh, crimson um, wart, or I guess, no, it's still called nether wart. Uh, warped wart blocks and nether wart blocks. Um, because previously, I, I don't I think an axe was what you could use, but, like, honestly, they were just, they would take longer than most things. And yeah. I know a lot of players would complain about not being able to attack it with the right tool much like you can axe for wood stone for pickaxe dirt shovel that sort of thing yeah. and get a faster mining speed um and so having a, a, an assigned tool for that is good it gives a little bit more credence to the hoe you know yes. which is not not used that often um i don't know if i necessarily want to have yet another tool <laughs> to yeah. have to carry around yeah that, so therein lies the problem of inventory issues with more blocks and more tools that you have to have but um i thought that was interesting i the um the thing about like the drop rates for for oh man piglins piglins um I, it's fine if it's automated like if it's this kind of thing where if i'm going to be in the nether and i have one of those things running all the time like a, a barter system or a, a farming system or something um then sure you know like that seems it's passive uh, i'm glad that quartz is going to be more frequent but obsidian same thing you know but i it, it doesn't the rates to me do not change that game much like yeah ultimately i think you can still get all of these things faster by just going to go get them like to go find something go find obsidian and mine it you know and then go find you know quartz and mine it you know it just it just depends on how much you want the game to be doing things in the background you know i think it's nice to have but i don't think it's gonna quote unquote change the game yeah, I, th I think on multiplayer servers at least it's going to be nice for active servers to have a way of getting renewable quartz because yeah. of the sheer amount of it that gets mined over the course of a season. Even now you can trade with uh, stonemasons and so forth. Quartz is also one of those things people mine a lot in the early game if they need a quick hit of experience. So I think it's right. going to be useful to have the bartering thing in the long term on you know long-term servers and we're actually going to be talking about the lifespan of a server in our main discussion this week um but yeah i think it's going to help for stuff like that it might even make it a bit more accessible and this is the the interesting thing for me about the technical change you mentioned where piglins now have a tag that makes them immune to zombification i don't know if that's is that something that the game is going to uh apply randomly in the same way that they randomly apply the um you know zombies being able to pick stuff up or um being immune to knockback do we, do we know if that's like something that actually gets implemented in the game or is it just like an optional tag for creative players if you want to spawn in a piglin that's immune to zombification have we have we clarified that i haven't been able to clarify it and i was chalking it up to just a very strange way that moyang often writes their features and bugs um i to me it's like you know is immune to zombification true or false and i would say probably more often than not it's false um but i mean i more control is good for the players and the people that want to do creative maps and you know adventure stuff but like i i don't understand 
because I just thought like if a piglin got to the overworld, it would turn into a zombie. Like that's just yeah. kind of how I thought. But my um, my my wonder is whether or not it is possible that a piglin will not in survival. Because mm. for example, like one of the things I plan to do in my Minecraft survival guide series eventually is to make a museum where we have all of the different blocks and presumably all of the different mobs. That includes things like bringing shulkers back from the end, bringing ghasts back from the the nether just because we can, whereas if you can bring piglins back from the nether but they become zombified piglins every time, that's another... It's it's one of those kind of um, obstacles to your desired goal in gameplay. So I'm wondering if maybe they are allowing occasional piglins that are brought back to the overworld to be immune to the zombification effect on the off chance that players do want to create some kind of piglin trading hall or put a piglin on display in their world then they don't have to be faced with that problem. It's not like a mandatory thing. Um, just opening it, up that gameplay option to people who might want that kind of thing. When you put it like that, if they have a helmet on, if they are under a block and not exposed to sunlight, like maybe their exposure to the overworld is not just being in the overworld. Maybe it has something to do with sunlight as with a zombie burning or not burning. You know? Yeah, and that was uh, one of, it was one of the first things I tested about piglins when I found out about the zombification thing was, does it work if they're under a block? And right now, of course, it still does, but right. I, I think it, it is possible that they could implement something in future that prevents piglins yeah. from getting zombified if they've got like a piece of gold armor on them. Maybe that's what like wards yeah. off the effect or something like that. I, I, I didn't play around with this snapshot myself. I didn't have time this week, but I did watch a number of videos that were recapping it and they didn't mention it. So I like I don't know where they're going with it. I This is where I wish I did know a little bit more about coding and how Minecraft actually works in that light. I, I did look into a little bit of the syntax just because I know a little bit of coding and sometimes I can at least understand what's going on. But like I find the way that Minecraft does their stuff just w- weird to me. Mm-hmm. I, I do not understand it. I, I am better at understanding a JSON file <laughs> than I am at understanding like the actual in-game Minecraft code. Uh, it's um, very strange. Like when people go and do fancy things in creative and like these command strings and stuff, like it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, so um, if, if you are a listener and you know or have an idea about what this might be and how it might be implemented going forward, then then write us at thespongechunks at gmail.com. Would love to have someone smarter than me <laughs> chime in and, and uh, let us know what's up. Um, I am actually... Really excited about the crying obsidian block. I think it looks really cool. Yeah, um, it's. I, I'm not sure if it's got too much in the way of building use, other than kind of occasionally blending it with obsidian for uh, a fun kind of effect. But the the function behind it is something that is still a mystery, but they have hinted at in the recent past. So um, back in 2011, Jeb suggested crying obsidian, and I think left a texture file in there that was then data mined by players at the time and. The block itself was never implemented at the time, and he clarified on Twitter, this is all in the history section of the Crying Obsidian article on the Minecraft wiki if you want to go look at that, so this is where I'm sourcing all of this information from. Um, he, He originally meant it as a spawn setting obelisk, so basically a way to set your spawn. Uh, whether you were in the overworld or the nether, because I think this was before beds were implemented. Um, mm. So now beds were introduced in the ne- in the overworld, they explode in the nether, and you had to sleep in a bed to reset your spawn point for a long time. But recently, of course, you can set your spawn point during the day. You right-click on a bed, it says spawn point set here. And then uh, they were talking about making the nether more of a survival-based environment and actually living there sustainably, they wanted a way to set your spawn point in the nether 
And it seems like Crying Obsidian has been reintroduced potentially as a solution to that problem. Which means, yeah, you can maybe make a cool obsidian shrine out of it and then you right click on that and that's where you respawn if you die you can use that for like you know a slightly more rp focused like a role play style thing fantasy ideas kind of spring up hmm. from that but ultimately functionally it means you have a place to respawn in the nether in theory we don't know for certain that this is what they plan on using it for but all of mm -hmm. the signs seem to point to that for me yeah, uh, th that to me sounds really cool. You know, uh, even if you can't use it in the end, if only if it's only another thing, you could still put you know one of these next to your Nether portal, which leads directly to your End portal. You know, in the in the stronghold in the Overworld, so that if you do die, um, you know, you could rather than spawning in a bed or having to reset your, you know, you could if you could reset it the same way that you reset with beds now. Um, that that dragon fight's gonna be a lot easier if you die to to get back to your stuff. Definitely. Um, yeah, I I'm I wonder. This is just me speculating, kind of like off the cuff here. I wonder if there'd be a way to do some sort of like ranged spawning. Like, I wonder if crying obsidian could be used for like almost nether transport. You know, like if you if you set your spawn at one, or if you you know set up these multiple shrines, like maybe you could use it to travel from one to the other. I I don't know. I mean, that's probably not the intent, but it just kind of dawned on me when you're talking about like fantasy or sci-fi or magic or something like that. It would be kind of cool if, if you set up like a three high pillar of obsidian that you have to like punch to, to activate. And then it would then send you to another obsidian pillar that was in within range or something like, I don't Those know. Like, there's, there's a waystones mod that does yeah. that. And it's that kind of, that kind that of kind idea. Of yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm already, I'm already using, um, the end for fast travel that way i will try and avoid setting my spawn point if i have to go back to my main base because then mm -hmm. if i go to the stronghold jump through the end portal i re-emerge at the mountain project again and i i skip the uh necessary flight through the nether to go back you know 800 mm -hmm. blocks out in the nether to get to this 5000 block away uh project so yeah there's yeah. there's a uh, a lot to be said for fast travel in the game and, and ways you can improve it so maybe yeah. you could see them using it that way while I agree with you that it's not necessarily the most versatile block texture with the Crying Obsidian, uh, it, it falls under the warped and crimson um, fungus stems. Um, I still like it. Like, I, I can't see myself using it in a lot of different ways, but it still looks really cool. I do like animated textures in the game. I find that Minecraft can be very static. Uh, yeah. And ad having animated textures and things kind of like undulating light or color around you does help it feel a little bit um more lively plus it has that the dripping texture like the the crying texture of the little purple drips that come off of it mm -hmm. um which depending on what you like where you use it like maybe you put it in a ceiling where you don't really see it that much but having th purple tears drip down in, in a build could be very cool i, I you know i don't no, I mean it's you. Maybe maybe you put it and hide it in your Slurpee machine in your in your modern modern city, and you have a, a purple dripping Slurpee machine. I don't know, um, but yeah, like just there's there's some things I think that that it could be used for. But I just it is it is a really cool looking texture, and I think um, adding it into Obsidian will kind of increase the fun of finding Obsidian. Uh, and I'm also thinking about just you know we're gonna up the cool factor of those pillars in the end if they have this included in them oh yeah like no, that, that that'd be a super cool design gonna look really cool right like that that to me they would feel way more magical and ominous as opposed to just the big black towers like it would feel more i don't know i'm not sure what the word is ethereal or important maybe just important is the word i'm looking for 
One of the other interesting things about Crying Obsidian for me, and this may change because the block has only just been added and isn't fully functional yet, but it can be broken by any kind of pickaxe and gold is the fastest. It's got a linear time to break table in the Minecraft wiki right now. Huh. So you can break it with a wooden pickaxe. It takes 37.5 seconds to do so. So if you feel like <laughs> if you feel like setting your spawn and then, you know, moving it a couple of blocks, you can still do that with a wooden pickaxe if you want to wait half a minute for the block to break, but you still obtain it using a wooden pickaxe. And uh, gold mines it in 6.25 seconds, but then, you know, diamond, netherite and stuff like that is slower because gold tools are technically faster. There's just few enough things you can break with it that people typically don't use that as a function. And it's got such mm. low durability that you don't usually bother. But again, that kind of ties it into piglin civilization and they're placing some value on gold. So if anything, it feels more consistent that using gold tools on that makes sense in a weird sort so, of way. So wait a minute, sidebar. You're telling me that a gold pickaxe is going to be faster at mining something like quartz ore than a diamond pickaxe. Uh, potentially, yes. It's whether or not the quartz ore then drops from the ore block is the important thing. Because you have... Um, uh... the, the, the gold tools have basically the equivalent breaking ability of wooden tools, I believe. I don't oh, think they're even okay. as good as stone. Like, you can't mine iron with a gold pickaxe, I believe. I will look this up. But, like, right. it's, uh, it's one of those things where, like, the materials you can actually obtain with it are really not worth the the price of entry right. and the and the sheer lack of durability gold tools have because they're designed to be very soft. So, well, the, um, the reason I bring that up is because uh, one of the things that I like to do with my concrete makers is use them to mine redstone, coal, and quartz ore because uh, the, the function is the same. It collects the blocks. You don't have to build a giant tower. You can just kind of sit there and just right-click, left-click. Uh, but one of the things I, of course, notice is that when I'm mining quartz in that way, nether quartz, the, the XP fixes your pickaxe. So yeah. if you had a mending gold pickaxe with Fortune 3, if it drops the quartz ore, then that could be a faster way to get through your stuff. Just for, I mean, for fun. You don't, I mean, it's obviously easier to just use the pick that you have in your hand. Uh, and an efficiency five diamond pick is pretty fast, but still. Yeah. Uh, nether quartz ore can be broken with gold pickaxes, confirmed on the Minecraft wiki, and they are mm. the fastest tool at 0.4 seconds per block. Wow. So We're there you go. To, you, gonna, you, can, you, can mine, you can mine quartz with wood, apparently. So everything in the nether is softer than I gave it credit for, I suppose. But uh, yeah, you cannot mine iron ore with a gold pickaxe, which is huh. why you don't typically see people using them all that much. They do have that new squishy sound to the nether too. That's interesting. I want, yes. I I didn't hear it because of course when you're watching content creators when you're catching up on um, snapshot videos they often have the sound of the game ducked under their own voice. Does crying obsidian have a sound? Like does it have a drip sound or anything like that? I don't know. I've I've not gotten into the snapshot and played around with it myself, so mm. uh, I'm not certain yet. But again, still Less, something that yeah. could be added along with the the functionality of it a little later. For sure. Uh, speaking of stuff that's being added, the target block has me excited. Um, I, I was watching some videos. It feels like you've got to be pretty accurate to hit the middle of that block. I don't know if they're going to move that to be more forgiving. Um, I know that in the combat update though, they were working to make arrows and bows and arrows more accurate. Yes. So I feel like there might be a pain period of the target block being put in the game before the honing of the projectile accuracy. Um, however, I did not expect them to allow other projectiles like eggs and snowballs mm -hmm. to, uh, to do this. So for example, if you wanted some sort of redstone, com uh, contraption that maybe doesn't need a specific redstone output, but just needs a redstone output, you could potentially power it from a snow golem 
uh, farm, you know, fill a, a dispenser with snowballs, you'd have to fill it up every now and again. But then that, you know, dispenser could shoot a snowball and activate the target block and, and go from there. My brain immediately went to long range uh, remote redstone activation. Uh, maybe not so much straight up, but straight down. I yeah. feel like you could probably, if you had the arrow contained or if you had the projectile contained, and obviously you would just go with whatever is the cheapest, uh, ch eggs would be good because you can create infinite amount of eggs with a chicken farm. Uh, you could potentially just, you know, press a button, which would then trigger a, a, a dispenser to shoot an egg. And as long as the egg makes its travel all the way to the target block, then... <laughs> You know, you know, like you can do whatever. And who's to say that you can't put a three by three of target blocks all over the same redstone net and just like, you, then you just don't have to worry about accuracy. You just have to hit one of those three, you know, nine blocks and call it a day, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, my, my main kind of field of interest here is to see if you can get a consistent signal out of the target block by aligning projectiles in specific ways. So mm. if you could guarantee that you would get a redstone output of six from it all the time, like by aligning something if you're firing an arrow out of a dispenser and maybe like adjusting where it falls through like you know having it go through water or, mm -hmm. or lava or something like that there there are different ways potentially of slowing a projectile down that don't involve it getting stuck in a block and so i wonder if you could align projectiles a certain way and is it worth it to get a reliable redstone signal that way instead of using you know a comparator or just you know, putting three more redstone dust into your thing to have the the current have further to travel there are some some interesting implications to it and i'm frankly kind of surprised that it's taken them this long to implement a target block because given the emphasis on bow-based combat, it seems like a logical addition, but mm. I'm glad that they're doing it now. And I actually really like the texture of this one as well. You said it was it was crafted with some redstone and a hay bale, and mm -hmm. the way the texture looks, it does look like a painted hay bale. You can still kind of see the little lines of the the hay texture as though it has just been painted over with white and red, which is, is pretty cool. And I think it's going to be fun to have mini games with this stuff to you know open doors for you at a distance if you want to like you're running towards the entrance to your cave base you just throw an egg at the right place and it opens the door for you or you fire an arrow yeah. or something like that crossbows will be really good with this as well so i can see a lot of people using these in fun ways if not if nothing else just for mini games yeah oh, absolutely it's going to open up the door for mini games for sure i think they need to set the target block texture next to the hay block snot texture and ask themselves why yeah because <laughs> I really like the hay, the the target block texture, hay bale not so much. Yeah. So because it looks it looks like proper like wheat color underneath the red target paint. It's very it's very very cool. Uh, I like that you can hit it on all sides. And you mentioned comparators. You can take a comparator output from it. So if all you needed to do is just just a signal, then that's what you can do. You could potentially control the strength of that signal with a comparator too. Like if depending on what you have going into the comparator, you might be able to control. You know. And I don't know the math on it, but like you might be able to say like, well, you have to hit, you have to, exp, you know, get a, a signal higher than four, but less than 10, you know, like, so instead of just having a bullseye test in this mini game, like maybe you have to hit specific areas on it. Like that could, it could be, it could be really complicated. It's, it's really, I think potentially a complex block. I'm looking forward to when the redstone brains in the Minecraft community get a hold of this and really start to do some cool stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be long. I'm pretty sure they're on it already. So uh, while they're on that, we should probably move over to Chunk Mail and address the first of two emails this week. Uh, we've got a couple of short ones this time because it, it felt like the thing to do. Um, this one comes from Reagan P uh, with the 
topic of mountains. Dear Joel and Johnny, I've really enjoyed listening to your show. What, what would you like to see in the new upcoming mountain update? Reagan P. Thank you, Reagan P, for your email. And uh, yeah, mountain update we know is coming after the nether update. We know a little bit about what's going to be in it already. Joel, what are your thoughts? So I was on the fence about this email, but because Mojang has put this out there and people are left to ponder, uh, I thought it was a fun little exercise. And we know that we're, you know, mountain goats are part of what they suggested. We, we don't know exactly how they're going to be implemented, but I hope they are the grumpiest, dorkiest addition to the game. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure if anybody's seen the close, a close-up of a goat, but their eyes kind of point in separate directions and they have very odd pupils and like everything is very strange about them. And I think they can have an opportunity, much like the sheep in Minecraft that are kind of derpy. Uh, I feel like they could really make the goats uh, fun. Uh, they... I'm curious to see if they're going to be quite as blocky as the sheep. I hope they go with a little bit more detail. Like, I can't say I'm in love with the hoglins. I kind of wish that they had a little bit more to them. Uh, piglins look really cool. So I, I kind of want a little bit more detail in in, in the mountain goat. Um, what are the other things that they mentioned in, in this in the um, the biome uh, announcement? There was deep snow that would slow you down. There was uh, uh, more majestic cliffs, and then there was the mountain goat. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what the goat's going to drop. Probably just some sort of like, you know, you can probably milk them like cows. Um, I would imagine you, if you did decide to kill a mountain goat, they would probably drop something like flesh or pork. Or I don't know like what gray they would do. wool or something gray like that. Yeah, wool mutton maybe, maybe. Yeah, mutton, mutton maybe. Yeah. Um, so I don't really ex have high expectations there. Uh, their behavior is going to be interesting, though, because if they do things like headbutt you or headbutt a specific enemy, then it could be, you know, fun to kind of like capture one and use it in a farm or, you know. I want them to headbutt everything. I think that would be the <laughs> coolest thing to have a mountain goat be like, no, my mountain, and then just like yeah. run at whatever. Because then, again, for a, a, a redstoneless, waterless, uh, hostile mob farm, just sticking a goat in the middle of it and having it like headbutt mobs off a platform. Oh, I'd like that. I yeah. think that would be so much fun and, and kind of consistent with what I understand of goats. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I think having goats be something like that gives the opportunity if the player is brave enough to catch one to uh, mm. implement them in farms that way and that'd be a really fun way of doing things. I'd like to have a reason to go prospecting in the mountains. I don't think we're going to get a new ore given what we now know about the nether update and netherite. Um, but uh, at, at the very least, I think I think new darker and new lighter types of stone or some other reason to go up into the mountains I think would be would be good. I think there's an opportunity there to uh, just give players more of a reason besides just goats uh, to go up on, on the mountains. And I don't want to... Um, undercut the idea that while some of us are are mad enough to create their own <laughs> mountains uh i think moyang is probably going to do that balancing thing where they're going to make mountains and terrain generation uh look better in game but not you know so good that you don't want to bother like they want to inspire people to do what you're doing johnny and build their own mountains but i'm also excited for those of us that don't have the time to do that to have better looking mountains behind your fantasy castle behind your city that you've built in the valley having better looking mountains in the background i think is just going to be a win for everybody yeah i think ultimately the problem with altering terrain generation is that still it has to occur on the minecraft kind of procedural generated noise map generated terrain mm. and the problem with creating things that look kind of like set pieces and like specific 
almost like a th- the the generated structure approach to mountains is that eventually all of them would end up looking the same so what mm. i want to see in the upcoming mountain update really is variety if they're changing terrain i want it to be varied enough that i'm not looking at the same thing over and over again or at least that they generate in a formation that can be new each time because like say you look at an ice spikes biome for example all of the ice spikes, there are maybe four or five different designs of them. You get some super tall ones, you get some stubby ones. They have like slightly different amounts of packed ice in all of them. But the sheer amount of them spread over the terrain is what makes it look fascinating. It looks beautiful. And I think you can do that with pre-generated mountains and just have them kind of cluster together in fun and different ways that could potentially turn it from, wow, this all looks the same, to, wow, I've never seen that combination of stuff before. Yeah. So I, I would that, like to see some variety in that. And while I enjoy the realistic, you know, mountains and stuff that, you know, you and Whip are building and the stuff that happens in, in a thing like Biome Bundle, you know, for modded terrain yeah. generation, I wouldn't be, I mean, Minecraft is a pretty cartoony game. I would not be against, you know, some very cartoony looking mountains. You know, take a look at the backgrounds of some of your favorite, like, Disney animated television shows, things that are made uh, quickly that don't have, like, giant matte paintings behind them. So I'm not talking about, like, Mulan. I'm talking about, you know... Uh, car- like Saturday morning cartoon mountains. And sometimes they can be kind of wonky. They can look kind of cool uh, in, a, in a strange kind of designy kind of way. And so that would allow them to have many more different kind of mountain types. You know, like maybe you have a hook mountain or maybe you've got a, a mountain that twists. And so if you have a bunch of that kind of stuff that you can put in combinations across a vast landscape, that could be kind of cool. Um, especially if some of them are rare, like it's like, oh my gosh, it's a naturally generated, you know, ice cream cone twist mountain. Like who knows, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, it might totally. look like, you know, that kind of stuff could be kind of cool. Think about like the kind of mountains that you might see in the background on a Mario game, you know? Yes. And, and I think my brain goes there because that's the kind of pixel art style platformer they did these release videos in. You know, like I, I liked what I saw in those videos. If they want to replicate that, like I'd, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And it's funny because I've been grappling with the idea that my mountains are ultimately kind of cartoony, much as I think they look pretty epic in combination of all of the landscape that is around them. You're still, you know, stuck with the build limit, the maximum build limit in Minecraft being 256 meters. Not even that because you are typically starting these things at sea level of Y64. So really you only have about 190 blocks before you hit build limit. And if you look at mountains in the real world, the example I give is Mount Kilimanjaro, which basically starts on a flat plain in Tanzania in Africa and then reaches a total height of just under 6,000 meters. So that's a 6,000 block high mountain where realistically like you get up to you know, less than a 20th of that and you're at the build height limit in minecraft so it's it's really not going to be possible to build anything that looks like a quote-unquote realistic mountain in that sense everything is going to be scaled differently even though the player is supposed to be two meters tall you're not going to get a mountain that the player can't jump up given enough practice and time and so forth so i think it's uh yeah it's it's weird the concept of making mountains more realistic i think gets bandied around and i think they don't necessarily need to go down that path they just need to refine the aesthetic of what mountains generate as in the context of minecraft yeah can you can we take a moment and just marvel at the 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 quad size the leg muscle size for most minecraft players that are constantly (laughs) jumping up one meter at a time the average stair is six inches for people that go up and down stairs in buildings. Imagine having to jump one meter every time you lifted your foot uh, yeah. to, to jump up a mountain. Like you, it would be, it's like 
the, the epic squat workout of all time. Like these guys must walk around like Quadzilla all the time. It's what all the uh, the parkour guys in the city centers are training for, basically. It's the, <laughs> yeah, the apocalypse the where everything then becomes Minecraft. Yes, exactly. Lots of zombies everywhere. Next email comes in from Dallin. Uh, this is the email about nine-year burnout. Hey, Johnny and Joel, I'm a big fan of the podcast and would like your guys' thoughts on burnout. I've been playing on and off for almost nine years now, but because of my long history, I often burn out when I come back to experience the new updates. What, With that being said, I still enjoy watching Minecraft YouTubers like you guys. How can I prevent the burnout from playing a game over half of my life? Thanks for your time, Dallin. Well, what a timely email, considering I made a video on this topic last week. Um, one of the recent episodes of the Minecraft Survival Guide dealt with what to do when you get bored, or how not to get bored in Minecraft. And my main point really was to diversify your approach to the game, because I think a lot of us get stuck into routines of, I have one specific like discipline in Minecraft I like to do. I like to make redstone farms, I like to build, I like to explore, and then when the content runs out for that, you look at the other stuff and you're like, no, that's not my thing, or you think, yeah, I've never really understood redstone, or I have no creativity, I don't know how to build, and I think making the most of the game relies on you exploring a lot of different aspects of the game and losing those automatic assumptions you make about certain aspects. I think if you don't if you don't think you're a redstone person, a few years ago neither was I, and now I'm making tutorials about it regularly, and I've kind of had to teach myself redstone for that. But um, I think one of the barriers to entry for me was thinking about it as redstone. It's like talking about it in terms of like I don't really know how to use electricity, uh, but then if you think about it as technical Minecraft, and you think about it as something including things like monster spawners which don't necessarily have to have redstone involved you just need to clear out an area around a spawner put in some water streams stand nearby and watch all of the skeletons flow into a place where you can chop at them with a sword that's still technical minecraft and if you start small with stuff like that it can certainly build up your tolerance for doing more and more technical projects until you start to give redstone a try um you can you can balance the aspects of minecraft pretty well and in the video i thought of it as a food pyramid kind of style structure at first and then realized we have something like that in minecraft it's a beacon and so i built the beacon out of all of these different layers each of which i assigned to a different kind of discipline within minecraft a different activity and i decided on which layer the, like the largest layer for me was building the next largest layer like kind of comprising the division of activities i like to do in minecraft the next one up is redstone the one after that is exploration and then the smallest ones at the top are things like progression like all of the achievements and stuff you can get through the game and then the beacon at the top the smallest amount of it is combat because i'm not i don't really care about combat i'm not a pvp player and so forth but then uh you can't have the you don't get the effects of the beacon unless all of those components are present so i think really diversifying your approach and trying to do a bit of everything in Minecraft is the way you're going to get the most out of it and avoid burning out. My last thought on the subject really is that you don't have to play Minecraft. <laughs> it's it's such a weird thing to say on a Minecraft <laughs> podcast and as somebody who's played yeah. Minecraft basically every day for the last, you know, 3 or 4 years at this point. It's 
it's this weird fallacy of this community that if you're not playing Minecraft, you are missing out and that you need to emulate the activities of people that you see on YouTube doing these kind of long-form projects and seemingly never running out of enthusiasm for the game. Believe me, it happens, and those people take breaks, and they play other games, and then they come back with a fresh approach later. Kind of sounds like what you're doing already, Dallin, is... You know, you burn out when you come back to experience the new updates, but you still come back to experience the new updates. So you're you're checking in, you're seeing what the new stuff is, but you're really under no obligation to continue doing what you do. You know, it's a hobby for you. And if a hobby is boring for me, I usually give it up and try something else. So I think yeah. it's, a, it's a very strange mindset that you get into with Minecraft that it has to be something that you play continuously <clears throat> forever. You're allowed to take breaks. I think I think uh, I give you permission to take breaks if you want to. <laughs> I think sometimes people uh, get stuck in loops where the way that they play Minecraft is just to go through the process of the tech tree, you know, and, and yeah. getting to end game, which now that there's so much content out there, you can do very quickly. Uh, and if that's the end of the game for you and you're then bored, well, you're not going to get a lot out of a sandbox game. Yeah. Um, what I, uh, what I want to point you to is, uh, uh, a conversation that I had with, um, my friend Megan on the Sizzle Cafe. Now, depending, uh, the Sizzle Cafe, it's, it's not always family friendly. Sometimes there's some different language in it. So approach that, that episode with caution. Um, but the topic we were talking uh, about was fantasy world building. And Megan is an author and an actor and, you know, I am a, an artist and a creator. And so we were talking about getting stuck, you know, and, and, and how to move into a new part of the Minecraft server that I'm on and how to create new things. We didn't talk so much about Minecraft as much as we talked about ideas and, and themes and what it's like to be sitting in a sandbox and having every option available to you. It's kind of paralyzing, but if you can tell a story whether it's your story, someone else's story that you're inspired by, maybe you want to recreate Harry Potter stuff in Minecraft, I don't know. Um, but when once you give yourself those parameters, you can find yourself with a pretty solid direction. You might even be excited about doing more in Minecraft than not. Um, all of that said, uh, I compare this a lot to when I'm doing artwork, especially my own artwork. If I'm not inspired, I don't sit and draw. It's a frustrating experience to sit down with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen and not know what to do uh, or how to proceed because I don't feel inspired by something. On the flip side, if I'm vacationing out in you know Utah, Utah and hiking in the desert and I feel inspired to come home and do some paintings, or if I am uh, you know walking around the city and I see some really cool architecture that I'm inspired by uh, and I want to recreate that in Minecraft because I happen to be building a city right now, that's different. But those things are happening because I'm taking the time away from the game. So when a new version of Minecraft comes out, maybe take your time. Maybe you only play on Sunday. Maybe you only play on Friday night. But if you limit it and make sure that you're spending some time, like Johnny said, in other games and in other inspirational materials, then you might find that you're able to get more out of the game and you might be excited to return to either minecraft or maybe another city builder or another creative venture maybe you like to draw whatever it is you you can't just sit down and do the thing all the time 
when the thing is creative, like Minecraft, because without the real world experiences to draw from, you don't have any inspiration and you're going to tap out. You're just going to do the same thing you did before, or you're going to find that you're emulating people that you see online, just copying stuff. So in order to kind of get your own inspiration, you have to experience life and bring that into Minecraft or any other hobby you have, whether it's music or art or, you know, writing, whatever that happens to be. Uh, I'll leave a link in the show notes to a uh, YouTube video by an artist, um, I'll say a peer of mine, uh, Jake Parker. Uh, I've met him once. He's a delightful individual um, and it's called The World Building Trap. And so Jake has written and drawn a number of graphic novels, all of which involve building up a world from absolutely nothing where he has to come up with technology and characters and rules and what it's like to get kind of spiraled into that kind of trap and what he's learned from doing it a number of times over. Uh, worth, worth watch, it's a short video. It's like 20 minutes. Uh, and I think it's part of a series, but either way, the stuff that Jake talks about in his uh, videos, while they apply to comics and art, can be applied to more creative games like Minecraft and, and other sandbox adventures. Yeah, it's a uh, solid recommendation. I'll have to give that a look. Um, and this kind of ties in, in a way, to uh, our main topic, which is resetting worlds, because that is one of the things I think people find themselves doing a lot if they don't feel inspired and if the early rush of you know finding tools and and creating you know the the best gear and stuff like that is the point of the game if it's very objectives based gaming and once the game stops giving you objectives then you sort of run out of steam for it resetting the world is like a i guess a way of having that initial rush over and over again if that's you know what you get out of the game but obviously for some people like you and i resetting your world is a much more um I guess it's a much more considered process. It's something that we would probably have to have some very significant reasons for doing because we like to keep a world around for a while. And I thought this was a really cool topic. You brought it to the table as kind of an idea for, for talking about it. And I think um, the recent Hermitcraft reset is a um, a really good example to, to draw from. I Obviously, not being part of the server myself, I can only really speculate as to their reasons and, and kind of draw on what they've said in, in videos. But I think the recent reset of Hermitcraft was mostly a result of people feeling like they had done everything they could with the worlds that they had up until that point. And it got to the point where because Optifine wasn't out, they hadn't updated to 115.2, and uh, now Optifine is available in preview version form at least and is looking closer and closer to completion. I think it seems like they're, they're more keen on being able to do more with the world now they can kind of do fun stuff with resource packs and stuff if they want to but they can also you know just guarantee that performance is going to be good for them and they're going to be able to make the videos they want to make um so so let's talk about about world resets because the citadel for you has been going on for for quite a while right and you, you don't necessarily get tempted to reset the server and have everybody start from scratch yeah i'd have to double check but i want to say three years uh, is how long the sizzle has been. We're coming up on three years if, yeah. if we're not there already. And <clears throat> part of the reason was um, time investment. Like I just, I mean, obviously more so in the last year or so since starting the Spun Chunks because I've had more more freedom to do that. But <clears throat> when I first started, I wasn't being, I wasn't able to play very much. Uh, and the idea of playing in a world with friends, it was like, well, we'll see how long it goes. And we just, it got bigger and bigger. More friends joined. Uh, and when people don't have a lot of time, like myself and Alistair spend a lot of time on the server, but like, you know, friends like Matt cast, um, he's got a family and jobs and like, he, he can't spend that much time consistently on the server. 
And I can imagine it would be kind of frustrating if we were resetting once a year and he would basically get halfway through his project and then the server would reset, right? So that's part of why we haven't reset this at all. Uh, the other thing for me is that um, we've been able to achieve, at least I've been noticing it recently, with these new build areas, these new zones that we're uh, assigning on the server, that new server smell, quote unquote, uh, where you approach an, an area that's a couple thousand blocks away from your main, you know, last build, uh, and there's nothing there. Like it's complete wide open space. You have, you know, anything and everything is at your fingertips. And what's inspiring about that is that it does have that clean new world. You kind of have that starting over sense, but you don't have to grind cobble or iron essential tools. You have time saving things like elytra, ender pearls, nether portals. Uh, and so that really, I think helps with that quote unquote grind, uh, so I'm, I'm making early game design decisions and build decisions. Like, where do I want to put stuff? What, what do I want to do? I have the guidance of a theme. We have things like the modern city. We have things like the fantasy, uh, and, and medieval area. We've got a steampunk area that we're working on. Um, like all that kind of stuff helps guide you in terms of what you're going to build, but it's still wide open. You don't have to worry about building next to somebody. You don't have to worry about like what's going on. Like if you see a giant empty mountain and you feel inspired, it's yours. You can do what you want um, within the build zone parameters really. But it, to me, it's kind of been this nice balance between I don't want to reset and lose all the work. I mean, the nether hub that I, we have in the server, that took a year or more yeah. Yeah, <laughs> to definitely. do, you know, so I don't want to lose that progress. Now, Eventually something might come out where, you know, uh, we'll call it Minecraft 2. That's the wrong thing to say, but that's the best analogy I can get. Where the game just fundamentally changes and you just can't move your current world into a new one. Mm -hmm. And if the new, if the new shiny is attractive enough, then that's probably when the Citadel server would, would download, retire and reset to something new. Um, but as it stands, when new content comes out, we can use things like MC selector to remove chunks and essentially get new things in the existing world. It's a little bit more technical. It's a, you know, I know it's a, it's a Java thing, but uh, for us, it's, it's enabled us to keep the established world fresh. Um, we did it with the 114 villages. So every village uh, and every space that I could find that wasn't an essential part of our overworld, I deleted. I just trimmed everything right down. And what it meant was like, you know, so players like Cosmic Dancer, uh, and, and Anagram, and sorry, not Anagram, um, Anna Marie, they had brand new designed 114 villages within a hundred blocks of their, of their bases. And that yeah. was great for them, you know, so it brought new content closer to the wall. So that's one thing I know why, um, you know, big servers like Hermitcraft and some of the more popular YouTuber, you know, servers will reset is because there's new content. And because these, um, folks are creating massive builds and doing so much on these servers um i would imagine that for them as content creators it's just easier to have that stuff on your doorstep as opposed to six thousand blocks away yeah I, I think there is a certain extent to which you're resetting your own creativity at the same time and yeah i i think everybody experiencing all the content from the ground up is important like um with some world resets like uh, my patron server is another example of this people who've joined midway through the lifespan of a world can start from scratch with everybody else if you reset the world so on multiplayer i feel like there are there are different considerations with hermitcraft uh, b00 and corallis only joined 
partway through season six and now are starting from scratch with everybody at season seven so it feels like a bit more of a level playing field for those guys and if they had ideas for shops and stuff like that that were visited less because it was towards the tail end of the the server's lifespan now they have a chance to be able to you know, participate in that shopping dynamic and sell some stuff to people and earn some diamonds and whatever uh, so i think it's it's important for multiplayer server lifespans in order to make sure occasionally everybody just gets reset to square one and everyone gets to have that new experience and and it, it probably brings you closer together as a community at that point because you're interacting with people who were either inactive or you just weren't close to at the time and you can build up uh, a rapport with those people so it kind of creates new new collaborations i think also in the in this the situation we have on hermitcraft where there is a um you know there's a storyline of sorts going on and there are certain you know allies that are made and enemies that are made and so forth it's a, a, an easy way to reset that without necessarily having to worry about you know these people have to bury the hatchet before they can move on like it everyone sort right. of in the the role play sort of side of things everybody just accepts that okay it's a new world so all of those connections all of those kind of rivalries and stuff are reset and people can have open license to go and collaborate with whoever they want to without it being like we're enemies right kind of thing yeah some, when you, when you have they... a narrative and a and a um a narrative and a fiction that's kind of been established on the server it it does help to kind of reset those rules i think from from time to time i i would imagine too that um i would imagine they just kind of run out of not stuff to do but like because of the way that that a, a big server and we're using hermitcraft a lot because it's something that johnny and i both know a lot of like as fans um like it's it just it seems like they kind of reach a saturation point yeah. where like you want to do something cool like open up an iron store and if you do that early on in the server it becomes this really cool thing of like people are getting iron and they're building stuff and you're making diamonds and you're participating in the economy but once it gets to the point where everybody on the server could potentially have their own iron farm or they have so much you know wealth that it doesn't matter they can just buy whatever they want it just becomes this like you watch everybody's stores start to die and that fun aspect of the world just stops happening. We've, we had that uh, issue on the Citadel where I thought, hey, cool, let's open up a little market, but we didn't do it early enough. Uh, it happened so late game that I had already built a bunch of community farms, which I told everybody, please go ahead and use those because I wanted everybody that was new to have fun. And then I had nothing to sell because everybody yeah. was using the community farms. And so, uh, you know, it, it, we didn't approach the economy in that way. So we ended up doing like a barter system where like the people that opened up a shop would be just like, I really don't like mining sand. So if you want, if you want to buy flowers from me, then you have to pay me in sand so I don't have to go get it is mm -hmm. essentially kind of like how we ended up doing it. Um, and that's fine. But like it just it doesn't, you know, there's certain benefits to having that early game. Uh, there's certain drawbacks too. Uh, I was watching uh, Cubfan do his uh, first few videos in Hermitcraft, and like the, the the comments that he made about early game inventory, I was like, "Yep, that's how I felt when I was playing Skyblock." I was just like, "I just I Skyblock was fun. I enjoyed the early game grind for a little bit. It was a nice little reset for me. You know, I I got to get in there. Skyblock was different. I had never done it before. It wasn't like I was just starting a new vanilla world." But boy, do you feel that inventory crunch with all the new things from 113 and 114, uh, not to mention what's happening with, um, you know, what's coming up with 116. Like early game, uh, there are some real setbacks. So I can understand 
the argument against resetting as well if you've been on a server for a while because you know moving things around and getting things from here to there with shulker boxes man do you get used to that and without yes. them <laughs> like it, everything just becomes really slow it is it is super funny watching them all jump off hills uh, assuming they have elytra on and realizing that they don't and their armor, bar, and their armor yeah. bar looks so low because it's iron armor they're wearing not diamond you know so there's, there's yeah. definitely uh definitely that kind of adjustment period of everybody like dying to early game mobs because they're not geared up and that kind of thing which is yeah. which is funny and i think different people have different approaches to that as well some people want to be at end game almost immediately because for them that's where the fun begins and some people want to take it a little bit slower because they enjoy those early stages of feeling a little bit vulnerable there's a bit of an adrenaline rush you get from that which is kind of you mm. know it it it, it works out in some people's favor. Um, single player is quite a different beast, though, and I have discovered this over the course of the last year and a half of Survival Guide, coming up on two years as of July. Um, it's it's very different, and especially because you are the only person doing the work in this world, I think multiplayer servers can grow so much faster than a single player world can that you realize that in a single player world, the pace is very different. And because I'm having to build all of these, you know, farms myself, where previously playing on multiplayer servers, I'd never built an iron farm before because somebody else on the server would already have built it for me. Um, I think at that stage, you start to diversify your approach a little bit and it takes a little bit longer for you to get to the stage where you're like, I need to reset all of this because I feel like I have nothing left to do. That takes much longer because you're moving at a completely different pace and you're the only one who's going to be able to do it. So there's a a rewarding aspect, I think, to having your own experience with the game encapsulated in a single-player world and having that for the foreseeable future. I mean, you can keep going forever as long as it, it makes you happy. Um, and I could quite happily continue the Survival Guide world for years if it wasn't tied to my YouTube channel. And I've said in the past that I want this to be a world I keep around forever, but the more I think about it in the context of being a YouTube series the more I think that's probably not going to happen. And here's why. I mean, the main concern, obviously, is audience interest in the series, um, but also decisions I've made in the world earlier in the series might affect how stuff happens later. For example, now that I've fought the dragon enough times to generate all of the gateways in the end, I thought, cool, okay, I can build this giant ring connecting all of them, and I want to eventually transform that into a spaceport because I feel like that's the logical thing to build out in the end where there's the void is all around you and it kind of feels like being in space but then as soon as i start building stuff in the end i can't really fight the dragon again and i thought i got to the point where i didn't want to but the other day i realized i don't really have any spare like stores of dragon's breath like when i did the fights i kind of rushed through them to generate all of these gateways because i had this cool idea and now i've realized that i'm gonna have to summon the dragon again at some point if it means I want to farm some dragon's breath. That's also going to regenerate all of the obsidian in the towers that I farmed away uh, for like half of the towers in the end having been reset. So that's not something I'm entirely happy with either. But if I want dragon's breath, if I want to be able to make lingering potions to put on display in this museum project I have planned, I'm probably going to need to fight the dragon again. And so you realize at that point that you've made enough mistakes earlier in the world that later on in the world things aren't exactly to your liking and the most crucial thing for me is once we get a few more updates in the nether update is already changing enough about the nether but if anything else significant changes about the overworld like a caving update introducing underground biomes or anything like that if the early game progression changes in any significant ways 
then all of the tutorials I have made from this world in the early game are no longer really relevant. They become outdated after a while, at which point it behooves me to start a series from scratch because then I'm starting from nothing. The solution to that in staying in the same world obviously is staying in the same world just moving a good distance away and starting from scratch you know putting all your gear in a chest somewhere and you know setting a new spawn point a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand blocks out and starting again but then of course that still has the same nether dimension it still has the same end dimension there are some things that you would have to reset and you'd still be losing progress in one way or another so if anything it makes sense to retire an old world and start a new one to me um, and that's not something I'd necessarily considered when I was like, oh, keep this world around forever. So we'll see where it goes. I'm not at that point yet, and I feel like it's going to take some pretty significant updates to get me there. But there is only an extent to which I can continue to explore further and further afield before it just becomes a chore to find that new content. And it becomes even more of a chore to make sure I've edited around carefully all of the nether portals that I built in the nether so I can generate all of these new biomes and stuff. I'm still yeah. not sure how I'm going to approach that, so we'll, we'll have to see. It's worth noting, too, that these worlds don't go away unless you delete them off of your PC. Yeah, like, exactly. You can, you can still return to them if you ever want. Like, I still have Eternia, which is the first world that I spent some time playing in. I didn't create any content from it. I've done a little bit of streaming from it just as, like, a fun show-off. You know, hey, you guys want to see my first world? <laughs> Look at how bad all this is. You know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I was really unhappy with the seed. The biomes were large. Uh, it wasn't picked by me. I enjoyed my time there, but when it came to other things in the game, and I, I could also maybe return to this seed and try to look around because it, now that there's a Lytra and I'm, I'm end game, it might not be as far apart as I thought yeah, <laughs> or as it felt, uh, in, in the, the, uh, the original world, but I was really having a hard time finding, like I could not find a jungle biome for hundreds of blocks traveled. And I was just like, okay, I'm just, this isn't fun, you know? So I wanted to try and generate something that had access to all these different things. I, one of the things I'm now regretting about the Citadel is that I think we ticked the biomes to be slightly smaller than normal, which is okay. It means that we have a lot of diversity, but it means that if you want to do a really big build, you often will cross into different biomes when you do that. Yeah. And so that can, that can be a little bit tricky. Um, one of the things that I think, uh, is interesting from a single player perspective, uh, my exercise on the Citadel as an artist and as an art director professionally, I can be a little bit of a control person when it comes to how things look visually. So the Citadel has been an exercise in Joel letting go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I have to accept the fact that even though I spent a long time doing a community mine and designing everything with logs and, you know, having it look like a, a very much you know, Minecraft rustic feel that one of my server mates craft a, crashed a UFO into the mountain <laughs> and yeah. uh, created a burning trial of, of sci-fi wreckage uh, over the side of it. Um, in a way that sort of works. I mean, the, the top of the mountain is on fire and the wreckage is like on the other side. So you don't necessarily see it uh, with all that's going on. But we've also had issues where some of the stuff built on the server was just out of place or weird. And so stuff like that, it just comes down to, you know, how you're, you know, how you're feeling about things. I am very tempted recently, and this is probably just a nostalgia bug. This is probably a, a thing that I don't have time to do, uh, would be to start a single player world like you have. Um, mm -hmm. but I would, I would treat it as, as a, I'm either going to do it as a theme, uh, or I'm going to do it in a way that, um, would allow me to keep it for a very, very long time and thus having all of the control. 
I am also very aware of the time sink that that mm-hmm. comes with. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go back to grinding everything and doing all the farms and stuff like that. But at the same time, like I enjoy redstone farms. I enjoy building that stuff. But I feel like the difference with the Citadel for me is that when it does come time to do things like the giant nether hub, that was accomplished while it was designed in great part by me. I had input from other server members and I had a lot of help digging that hole. Like it, that was myself, Matt Cast and Alistair digging for days, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that, that helps tremendously clearing the, the, the stuff in the, in the, the modern city. Like that's a lot of dirt that had to get moved and I had help. Uh, and it, it, that kind of stuff makes things a lot easier. So in some ways, the temptation of that clean slate and, to do something different is is there, especially the control over having everything look the same. Not that I don't love my server mates, but like, you know, just being able to just not have to worry about stepping on someone else's toes or, you know, things that, you know, don't go next to one another. Um, th- that to me has been a challenge on the Citadel. One that I accept and, and feel myself growing, you know, artistically because of. So it's good. It's doing what it should be doing. Um, but I'm always, I'm, I am really tempted sometimes to, to jump into some fresh new world. I, I think I got the bug when, um, pardon the pun, I did the, uh, the B snapshot, um, mm-hmm. stream where I just opened up a single player world, random seed, and just kind of went to town looking for bees just to kind of like give the feedback for the podcast as to how long that took, what was it like, that kind of thing. But I really enjoyed it. Like it was a fun, fun early game. I don't even want to say grind because the way that the game is structured now, when it's not your first time in early game, you can get yourself into a comfortable position and not be scrambling pretty fast. It's not, yeah. it's not the end of the world. Um, I, I just don't know. Um, I, I don't know like what would be, I'm not sure what would prompt me to reset the Citadel. I don't have an answer for that. Something that we will no doubt be able to explore in a future episode of the podcast if it keeps going, because yeah, who who knows <laughs> at this point. And I think, yeah, with, with the, the B update, I think uh, this is probably my last thought before we close out the show. I really think I had a better time of that update, the smaller update, because I already had all of my gear available to me. Like the fact that you could only really move a beehive if you had silk touch um, was kind of crucial to me getting hold of the bees when I wanted to get hold of them, which was immediately because they're a brand new feature and I want to know all about them. Instead of having to go through that grind of getting set up and not necessarily getting silk touch right away and the level grind being kind of difficult in the early game and that kind of thing. So there are some updates like that that don't necessarily merit, I feel, a world reset. I feel like it makes the most sense to reset around the time of, you know, a major update so that you can instantly jump into something as huge as the update Aquatic, which changed everything about oceans and made living in oceans a lot more interesting. And I think, yeah, it's it's strange to me, although it makes a lot of sense, that Hermitcraft has reset when they have, because there isn't really anything brand new right now. The B update has mm. been out for a while, even though obviously Optifine has only just started to come out for it. It's still, it's not new features, but ne- they are working with the assumption that their nether dimension is temporary and that will get switched up when um, the the nether update kind of rolls around. And so what they're doing is allowing themselves to get set up first so that when they want to explore the nether update and get all of the ancient debris and upgrade their tools to netherite, they've got all the tools ready to go. Nice. So yeah. it's actually kind of smart the way they're doing things this time around because we can only assume that the nether update is not going to be coming for, you know, um, another month or two maybe, but the features are looking pretty solid already. So I yeah. think it's it's good that 
if they want instant access to the nether update they want to be at that end game level where they can really make the most of the nether update they're going to be there day and date when the update comes out which makes a lot of sense to me yeah i think that one of the things that you could do to to add to the, long, the longevity of a world or the longevity of a server is have those limits uh similar to how they did with uh, hermitcraft did it in season six when they put a world border because yes. they knew that they knew that the 114 update was coming uh and they just said all right well we'll just we'll have to build within this world border and then once 114 comes out we'll just release the world border and then we can generate new chunks and go from there uh even easier when you just operate under the assumption that your nether is temporary and you can just redo it um i will have to do the the whole chunk trimming thing for our nether when the nether update happens uh the good news there is that we have essentially traveled in straight lines so that our nether is a giant plus sign so yeah. it's really it's really going to be pretty easy to find the essential builds see where everything is uh and then just be like all right everything outside of this just 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 move it mm -hmm. i think the longest road we have in the nether is maybe a thousand blocks so really and that's only one everything else is 400 or less so uh moving forward from there it's it's going to be pretty pretty easy for us to enjoy new content without resetting you know and it'll it'll be as if we have but it it won't be we won't lose things like the um you know fortress crossroads farm which i would not want to build again <laughs> yeah definitely i think this would be a really interesting topic to hear more from our listeners folks at home do you have a world in survival that you've been playing on since minecraft came out or are you one of those people who resets constantly because you don't really feel committed to any specific world how does that make you feel about it and are you maybe somebody who falls a little bit in between you reset for updates maybe you stick around for other updates let us know the email of course is the spawnchunks at gmail.com but that's going to be it for this episode of the show you're going to find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud, as ever, to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash thespawnchunks and joining our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, where you can no doubt talk about all of the stuff that we've mentioned in the show and beyond. It gets us closer to our next goal of recording the podcast live in Discord so our patrons can listen in. And we're currently at 158 patrons, which is another dip from last week, but I think it's probably just that start of the month Patreon blues happening. Special thanks to our content engineers, Cameron Sigelski, Greener Canuck, JD Williamson, and Yitz for their support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends, server mates, or other people that you actually know. Just poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, we've been talking about Minecraft here. You might like this podcast. Check it out. You can email the show at thespawnchunks at gmail.com or subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and YouTube as well. Podcast reviews are something that also help us reach the uh, ears and, I guess, brains of our listeners there's spotify itunes all those places if you see the spawn chunks and you like it uh give us a star review and uh and let us know what uh, what you think the rss feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com the patreon only rss feed is on the patreon page and that is the only place where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where, once again, mountains are still coming together, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, now recapping Hermitcraft Season 7. You can find us through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me there, just drop me a line. The Citadel Cafe is a podcast to do about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment every week. You can find that at thecitadelcafe.com. Follow me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all just my name. Very easy to find, Joel Duggan. But uh, Twitch is where I'm having an awful lot of fun interacting with, uh, with you folks. So come on over to twitch.tv slash joelduggan, where I am building the modern city in Minecraft and hanging out with you kind people. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but maybe not permanent.